how we doing, Cell Company? <laughs> you guys, I am so excited right now. I can hardly, I can hardly contain it. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, my name's Josiah Sabino. I got to work here on staff uh, with the freshmen. Do we have any freshmen in the room right now? Come on, let's go. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, a few things about me. About nine months ago, my wife and I, we moved uh, from Iowa to Gainesville. I am a now diehard Gator fan. We came up, let's go. We came... We came up a little bit short last week. That's all right. Um, I met my wife in college, and get this, I married her in college. You guys don't think that's possible here? It is, okay? And it's amazing. We got married in college. Um, what else? I'm 23 years old, so I'm just a little bit older than some of you guys. I'm in my Jordan year. One, let's go. LeBron, no. You guys, what, one thing that I've felt more than I've ever felt at year 23 is that the, and tell me if you've had this feeling, the things that I thought were so amazing as a kid are starting to, to kind of suck. Have you guys ever felt that? So I had this experience uh, a couple months ago. I was at SeaWorld. Now, let me say this. I love SeaWorld, okay? SeaWorld's hype. But Michelle and I went with my parents. We went. It was fun. A lot of the rides were shut down due to COVID, except there was like two rides open. One of the rides was something called Puck's Penguin Adventure. And we're like, all right, let's, let's do it. So we go onto this ride. Turns out the ride actually didn't work. So it just turned into this walkthrough of this giant aquarium. Here was the premise of the ride. Your goal with your crew was to go travel to Antarctica and find this little penguin named Puck and help him find his way home. So like, yeah, let's do it. So we get in the tunnel. We get in line. We're excited. I'm like, yeah, the ride's broken, but this will be fun. We're going to look at penguins. The announcer comes on. He's like, are you ready to travel to sub-zero temperatures to Antarctica to help Puck find his way home? We're like, yeah! Like, I've got my corn dog out. I'm like, yes! He needs me! And uh, he's like, all right! Welcome to Antarctica! And the doors swing open. And I go running in, just excited. I'm like a kid again. And you guys... It was the saddest thing <laughs> I have ever seen. These penguins are just standing there. Like, they look so mad. They look like they don't want to be there. On the background wall, there is the painting of Antarctica. It doesn't even look good. It just like looks, it just like says Antarctica. The, this was one of the saddest things I've seen in a while. And as I'm leaving, there is one more penguin. And this guy looked even more sad than the rest of them. He is in the corner, facing the wall. He's not even looking at anything else that's going on. He's facing the wall. I took a video of it. Look at this. Are you kidding me? 
We, we named him Puck because what could be more fitting? Puck the Penguin. How sad is that, right? That guy stands in the corner at SeaWorld. We thought about him the rest of the day. Here, here's what made me really sad, though. It wasn't that he's not being fed. Okay. Puck, he's getting the best food ever at SeaWorld. He's getting filleted fish, prepackaged. He he's not going to get that in the wild. He's being fed. That didn't make me sad. He's, he's certainly safe, right? There's, a, there's no whale that's going to attack him in there. If that happened, SeaWorld would be over. There's, there, he's extremely comfortable. I'm sure that they set the degree to perfect penguin temperatures. He was having a rough day, yes. So he's safe, he's fed, he's comfortable. That's not what made me sad. What made me sad is that this penguin is missing out on the life that he was made for, right? He's not supposed to be at SeaWorld <laughs> in a corner with fake snow and a fake backdrop. He's supposed to be in, in Antarctica with a thousand miles of tundra with other penguins, with catching real fish on the adventure of the wild that is literally sewn into the fabric of his DNA. And yet he's at SeaWorld standing in the corner. Here's what I wonder. I wonder if some of us are in a Christian aquarium, if some of us who follow Jesus are safe, we're fed, we're comfortable, and we're missing out on the mission that Jesus has for our lives. As I read the text that we're gonna open up tonight, what I realized was this, that in many ways, my Christian life, it's safe, I'm being fed, I'm extremely comfortable, and yet I'm missing out on the whole mission that Jesus has given my life. Here's the question that we have to wrestle with tonight. What is the mission that Jesus has for your life? If you've known Jesus for 10 years, for a couple months or a couple days, I want you to know this. Jesus has a very clear mission for your life. Do you want to know what that mission is? Okay. If you guys have a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 5. As you're turning there, we've been going through an encounter series of Jesus coming across these different people and them walking away changed. I'm telling you, this encounter is different than all the other ones. Mark chapter five, we're gonna be in the first five verses to start. If you don't have a Bible, it is up on the screen. Here we go. Then they, being Jesus and his disciples, came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs. No one was able to restrain him anymore, even with chains, because he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but had snapped off the chains and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And always, night and day, he was crying out among the tombs and in the mountains and cutting himself with stones. So right away, we meet a demon-possessed man. Have you guys ever had a neighbor that you're like, 
You ever, you know the neighbor I'm talking about who never shows out for Halloween? You're like, dude, it's easy. You just fill a candy with bucket and people come. You know that neighbor? <laughs> Guys, imagine having this guy as your neighbor. Look at how Mark describes him. It says, the man had to be bound with chains and shackles. What kind of people do you chain down? Not Granny Puckett bringing you, welcoming you to the neighborhood with a pie. The kind of people that you chain down are te- people that are so violent that if you don't chain them down, they will hurt other people. This is who this man is. He's extremely violent. And, and the Luke account of the story, Luke says there's a way you could identify him. He's unclothed. He's naked. This man is a violent naked maniac, and here's the worst part, he's on the loose. It says every time they tried to bind him down, to shackle him down from from doing whatever he was doing as this kind of murderous, violent, perverted psychopath, it says he would break loose of the chains and smash the shackles. Imagine trying to go to sleep at night with this guy on the loose. You would be terrified wondering, is he going to break in? This guy's out there somewhere, this naked, perverted maniac. And did you catch where he lives? It says he lived among the tombs. Now, this isn't a clean crystal cemetery with whitewashed tombs and with flowers and roses. The Gentiles didn't bury their dead in the ground. They buried their dead in the tombs, in the caves, where the bodies would rot through the night and through the day. And this is where this naked maniac lives, among the dead. He was more comfortable living among the dead than he was those who were alive. This this guy's something out of your worst nightmare. And I'm sure that everybody in the neighborhood, everybody in the region, everybody in the area had to be terrified of him. And as terrifying as he was to so many, you get a little glimpse of how frightened he himself was as well. Look at verse 5. It says, in all ways, night and day, he was crying out among the tombs and in the mountains and cutting himself with stones. You know, one of my friends Help me to understand that reasons why people who are really depressed cut themselves isn't because they're actually trying to pain on them or because they're suicidal. It's because they want to feel something when they feel nothing. You get a glimpse into this man, always night and day, crying out among the tombs. I'm sure his mind is full of the worst nightmares and voices as the demons just plague his thoughts, and he never sleeps. Always night and day as people go to bed, he's shrieking out among the tombs. And I wonder if in a room this size, some of you here would say, I actually can relate to that man. You see, because sin 
and darkness feels like it rules over my life. Maybe you don't live in the tombs, but you feel lifeless. Maybe you don't run around naked, but your sin has you feeling more ashamed than you've ever felt. Maybe you would say, I'm not a violent person, but oh, has your sin hurt people. And maybe every time you try to chain your sin down and take control over it and stop it from doing what it's been doing to your life ever since you got to college and what it did in your life before high school, every time you try to chain it down, it breaks loose, it hurts you, and it hurts the people that you love and care about. And maybe now, as you sit in your chair, you smile, you're happy to be here, but what nobody knows about you is that you feel very alone. You feel very defeated. You feel ruled by darkness that is in your life. Some of you in this room might be there. And some of you might be wondering, maybe like this man was, is there any hope? Is there any hope for me? Well, I have good news for you. Because there was good news that came to this man in the form of Jesus. Look what happens when Jesus steps into this scene. Verses 6 through 10. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name, Jesus asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many. And he kept begging him not to send them out of the region. Hang on a second. This doesn't feel like the guy we just read about. The guy we just read about couldn't be controlled by anyone. The guy that we just read about submitted to no one. He was the one who inflicted terror on all the people, and no one could control him. But what happened when Jesus stepped out of the boat? He ran out of the tombs, and he knelt down before Jesus. The demons knew exactly who stood before them in that moment. Verse 7, what they say to Jesus? What do you have to do with us, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torment me. And the Luke account records that they said, please don't throw us into the abyss. The demons know very well who stands before them, and they know very well the punishment that will come through Jesus. Did you know Mark 3 says whenever the demons saw Jesus, their reaction was universally the same. They would run, fall down before him, bow, and declare, you are the Holy One of God. You know, the worst, the worst thing I could ever hear growing up in my house were these words, and they were out of, out of the lips of my mom. She would say, Josiah, go to your room and wait for your dad to get home. I don't know if you've heard those words before. Those are the worst words. 
Because what that means is that mom is so frustrated with you that she has handed you over to be punished by your dad. And what that meant is that at 5.30 p.m. Central Time, my dad was coming home. And so you'd sit there the whole day just hoping he was not home early. Because when he got home, you were getting spanked. And that moment, you did not want Why are the demons begging over and over and over again, don't torment us? What are you doing here? What do you have to do with us? It's because they're worried Jesus has come home early. Well, what is Jesus going to do with these? Look at what he does, verse 11 through 13. This is incredible. Now, a large herd of pigs were there feeding on the hillside. If you love pigs, if you have an attachment to pigs for any reason, you might want to cover your ears right here. Now, a large herd of pigs were there. The demons begged him, send us to the pigs so we may enter them. And he gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs, and the herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. Can you imagine what that spectacle had to be like? Can you imagine the pork sale that we... That, Somebody witnessed in that moment. I hope nobody was canoeing under that lot. It's just a waterfall of pigs came over. Here's what I find even more incredible than 2,000 pigs rushing off a cliff. And there's, it's hard to find something more incredible than that. Verse 13, it's this. The demons needed permission to do it. Salt Company, I want you to know this truth and believe this truth that I'm about to say. Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ alone has authority over the demons. Yes, at one point, they had control over this man's life. Yes, at one point, they ruled his thoughts, his mind, his actions, his body, his life. And yes, there is a prince of power named Satan who rules over the earth. And he is always roaring around like a lion, looking for those that he can devour. And yes, some of you right now would say, I feel like he has rule in my life. He rules it. But what happened when Jesus stepped out of the boat? The man comes running out of the tombs, and the demons drop him to his knees. Yes, this prince named Satan may have some power, but even the prince is powerless when the king walks in the room. Which means this for you. If you are stuck living in your sin, you can experience victory. If you are living in sexual addiction that has enslaved your life for years, that idolatry that has existed in your life, the lying, the drunkenness, the immorality, the wickedness that you can't control that you brought into this room, Jesus says, I can take all that is broken in your life and I can make it into a new creation. Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus says, you no longer have to be known by your failures, your guilt, or your shame because the forces of darkness that rule over you have power over it. Jesus Christ isn't afraid of your sin. He rules over it. This man 
in a single moment, experienced the full mercy of God. All the demons at Christ's permission exited him, and he was free. Because the demons that lived in him met Jesus, and they fled the scene. And I wonder if some of you tonight need to meet Jesus. The evil that's existed in your life, when it meets him, I promise you this, it will run. Well, there's still 2,000 pigs that just drowned. And that kind of news travels like wildfire. Look at what happens in verses 14 through 17. The men who tended the pigs ran off and reported it in the town and the countryside, and people went to see what had happened. Are any of you guys from a small town? Raise your hand. Small towns? Okay. You know that news travels fast in the small town. Imagine hearing this. 2,000 pigs, you say? The demon-possessed man healed? Oh, honey, we see this. Luke says that the entire city came out to see what had happened. Everyone. There wasn't a person left in their house. They were so curious. All those pigs, gone what? And they all made their way out to Jesus. And I wonder if they followed like a, a stream of pigs that were coming down the river. They're like, he must be that way. But they, they all arrive. And look at their reaction. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed by the legion. Sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. The eyewitnesses described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. Now this, you want Jesus to leave? Did, do you not see the man who has terrorized your town and your area, the one who you all knew? He's controlled. He's been set free. You think the crowd would at least say thank you. You think there'd be a celebration. Jesus controlled the man we've been trying to control for years. And they say, go away. Leave. Please leave. We're afraid of you. Jesus Christ stood in front of them. The one who could save them from their sin. And they missed it. The reality for some in this room is that they are more comfortable in the presence of evil than they are in the presence of Jesus. John 3.19 says, Some men love the deeds of darkness more than the light. That might be you in here. You said, I'm here to live the college experience. I'm here to do what I want, and I don't care about the evil that exists in my life. And what you've told Jesus is go away. This is what this crowd said. And they missed him. 
But that's not the most shocking part of the story. You're like, what? There's been pigs, there's been demons, there's been this crowd. What could be more shocking than that? I'm telling you what happens next is more shocking than all of it. You have to see this. Verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed kept begging him to be with him. Can you see this scene in your head? Crowd says, go away, stay out of here. And in the faint background of the crowd, there's one voice that says, let me come with you. And as Jesus is getting into the boat, this man comes running up to him and says, I'll do anything. Let me come with you. Please let me come with you. You changed my life. Please, I don't want to spend another day apart from you. And what does Jesus tell him? Verse 19. But he would not let him. What? Are you kidding me? Jesus, I think you misunderstood what he said. That was it. He didn't say go away. He said, let me stay. What are you doing, Jesus? This man wants to be with you. He's not, he's not with the crowd pushing you out. He wants to be with you. He wants to get in the boat. He wants to live by your side. What are you doing, Jesus? Look at what he says in verse 19. Look at what he tells this man. And don't miss this. If you miss everything else in the sermon, don't miss this. Verse 19. Instead, he told him, go back home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. What is the mission that Jesus has for your life, Christian? What is it that he wants you to do if he has shown you mercy? Is it go with him? Is it hop in the boat? We're going to do it, you and me. Is it stay safe, be fed, be comfortable? No. The mission that Jesus has for your life is this. I have shown you mercy. Now it's your turn to go and tell what has been done for you. Salt Company, what if the mission that Jesus has for your life is much bigger than just you? What if his plan isn't just for you to experience mercy, but for the whole world to experience him? What if God came to you and showed you mercy on his way to someone else? Your roommate who's lived in your dorm for weeks now and you've never opened up your mouth to tell them of the mercy you've received. Your classmate who sat there, you know he doesn't know Jesus, but you refuse to say anything. Your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister. What if Jesus showed you mercy so that the gospel could go to people like that? And you say this, you say, Josiah, here's the thing. (laughs) 
great sermon. Here's the problem. I'm not ready to start talking about Jesus. I don't know enough. I've, I, I don't know. I've just gave my life to Christ. I don't know what I'm doing. I need some training before I'm ready to go do this. Isn't that what we say? That's what I say. I need, I need, I need to know more. What did this man know? He didn't know three circles. He didn't know the bridge. He wasn't on leadership. He didn't didn't take any gospel classes. Heck, he didn't even have a Bible. And yet Jesus says, you, you are the one who I will use to be the first missionary I've ever sent. Did you know this is the man who is the very first missionary? Not my disciples, not even a Jew, a Gentile with a broken past who doesn't know a thing about the gospel, doesn't even have a Bible, you. Jesus says, you'll be the perfect candidate because everybody in this area knows who you are. You're the demon-possessed man. And when they see what I've done in your life, they're going to be amazed. And verse 20 says that this man, he went out to the center of the city and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed, maybe because this was the demon-possessed man. And something happened to him. He's no longer running around naked assaulting us. He has changed. Well, this man, he went out to the entire region, to 10 different cities, and he began to proclaim the gospel. And Mark records two chapters later that Jesus returned to this same area. And the same crowd that had pushed him away, it says, they were now bringing them their sick. And what they said is that this Jesus does everything well. Salt Company, what does it take? What does it take to be ready to witness to others about Jesus? Let me tell you, simply this, a changed life. What if tonight Jesus says to you, Allison, Claire, Stephen, Tyler, Patrice, Carson, You are who I choose. You are the perfect candidates for the gospel to reach the ears of your friends and your family. Because when they see the change that has happened in your life, oh, they won't know what to do with you. If you've received mercy tonight, if Jesus has shown it to you, he says, go and tell. And I'm telling you, every single person in this room, can have confidence that all they need to say is what has been done for them. This man had a story. He had no Bible, and he was ready. What was the mercy shown to you? What is the mercy we've all received? It is this. We all used to be that demon-possessed man. We all used to have the same story he did. We lived among the tombs. 
and we were dead. We used to be ruled by darkness under the power of the enemy, enslaved to our sin, completely helpless. But then Jesus got out of the boat and he sailed to the entrance of our tomb, not in a boat, but in a manger. And this Jesus who was rich in mercy would offer us freedom from the chains that bound us. How? He'd step into them. He'd put them on. And he would become sin for us. It wasn't, it was his flesh that would be gashed to pieces with stones on the cords of whips. And there at Calvary, he, instead of us, would hang on a cross, unclothed and ashamed for the whole world to see. And there he would die and be buried among the dead, buried in our tomb that should have read you and me. He would not stay there, though. Three days later, he would leave the tomb vacant with his clothes folded. And in his victory over death, the enemy trembled because Jesus proved in that moment that he had rule and reign over sin itself. And he had conquered the grave for you and me. This is the message of mercy that the world needs to hear through you. Maybe you showed up tonight dead in your sins and maybe tonight you can leave like this man did alive. This is the message. This is the mission of mercy. Jesus has brought it to you. Now he's calling you to go. I'll close with this. Tyler Blush gave his life to Christ this summer. He said, he said this, he said, Jesus, he says, Jesus can free me from my sin. And what we told him was now you need to go and tell. And he was so nervous to tell his family. He's terrified. He thought they'll never listen to me. But he called them and guess who will be at his baptism service Sunday? They're coming because Jesus changed this man's life. And no one can argue with a changed life. Everyone leans in and says, what happened? If you have a story of mercy, you're ready to go. Let's pray.